I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, I'll begin reading at verse 15 to verse 31. And then after we read God's word, we're going to turn in the forms and prayers book. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning at verse 15. Let us now hear God's word. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven." But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land, I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land." Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children, and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight, of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. For from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. As far the reading of God's word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation, I invite you to turn in your forms and prayers book to page 243. 243, I want you to put your finger there and then we're going to first go to 240, page 240, the second commandment. I'll read that. That's what the Lord's Day 35 will focus on this evening. 
what is God's will for us in the second commandment. So place your finger there at page 243, but go back to two, page 240, where you see the reading of the second commandment there. I'll read it. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing love to the thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now let us go to Lord's Day 35, where it asks, what is God's will for us in the second commandment? And congregation, respond with the answer. Congregation, what is God's will for us in the second commandment? That we in no way make any image of God, nor worship him in any other way than has been commanded in God's word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Although creatures may be portrayed, yet God forbids making or having such images in order to worship them or serve God through them. But may not images as books for the unlearned be permitted in churches. No, we should not try to be wiser than God. He wants the Christian community instructed by the living preaching of his word, not by idols that cannot even talk. Well, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us and illuminate our hearts and minds with the truth of the word. May we, O oh Lord, be fed true spiritual food and drink. And may you bring about transformation. They would be hearers of the word and doers of it as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of Christ, in the first commandment, God alone is the object of our worship. The second commandment, we learn that the true God prescribes the manner in which we are to worship this one true God. So the first commandment, we see, we understand God to be the object of our worship. The second commandment is essentially, how do we worship this one true God? What is the manner in which we worship him? Now, just to let you know that the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutherans believe that commandments one and two that we hold is one commandment. So, you shall have no other gods before you, and the second commandment that I just read constitute one commandment for the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutherans. We believe that they're two separate commandments, and so what they do is, this, with the tenth commandment, they split the tenth commandment, you shall not covet, into two separate commandments. This morning we look at this second commandment closely, especially as it relates to Deuteronomy chapter 4 where God warns the people of Israel through the prophet Moses. Moses speaks to the people once again, warning the people of graven images or the making of idols. When the people enter the land, the promised land, the land of inheritance that God promised to the forefathers, they are called to live a certain way. Deuteronomy is like a constitution that the people of Israel are to live by. 
We have an American, American constitution by which we as citizens live in this land. Well, they had a constitution too, God's law, God's word. And this is how they were to live before the people, the other nations. Because when they entered the land, God set them apart to be his representatives. His representatives to honor him, glorify him, adore him, and God would be their king. So they would live in a land, an inheritance, and God is king among the Israelites. Earlier in this chapter, we didn't read it, but in verses 6 and through 8, the nations will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So the nations will see these righteous laws given to Israel and they'll be jealous of it. They'll admire this God who gave them these laws. So God calls the covenant community to keep covenant with their God by believing in Him and obeying His commandments. And Israel would then be a light unto the nations. A light unto the nations. The first and second commandments are foundational. Foundational to the life of Israel, to our lives we do away with the first two commandments, every other commandment falls apart. Every other commandment falls apart. The Ten Commandments are built upon these two. The foundation of our faith and the worship of God. Well, in looking at this question, how do we worship God, when we look at the second commandment, we're going to look first at worship is reformed according to God's word. It's not uncommon for Christians to be asked by others, how do you all worship? What kind of worship service do you have? Are you traditional or contemporary? Have any of you said, well, I go to a Reformed church, and then you get a puzzled look from people, and they say, Reformed what? What, are you guys going to rehab or something? We throw the word reformed around like loose luggage, and it loses its meaning. What are we talking about? I'm a reformed Christian. Okay, so what? What does that mean? What are we saying? What does that even mean? What does it even mean to be a reformed church? Well, the word reform means to change to an improved or better condition. To go from a, a position that, or condition that is not good to a better or improved condition. And to no longer do something harmful. And in the time of the Reformation, our forefathers restored the biblical teaching on the doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of salvation was reformed. It was brought back to the biblical teaching of what it means to be saved. What it means to have faith. How must I 
be saved from my sin and from hell? What must I do to be saved? How am I made right with God? Well, in the time of the Reformation, that came to light. The biblical truth concerning how you are saved came to light and answered through the biblical text, through the Bible's teaching. The church reformed or changed its teaching to an improved condition that was once harmful to and endangered the souls of people. But now God's free grace in Christ is being proclaimed because it is consistent with the word of God. Justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. But the Reformation period was also a time of reformation in the worship of God. And sometimes this is often missed. Rightly so, we need to understand and know how we are saved, how we are made right before a holy and just God when we are sinners. But it's also a reformation of worship. The people of the Reformation became known as Reformed Christians because they worshiped God and lived the Christian life according to the Word of God. The Bible was their guide. The Bible is truth. It is sufficient for everything we need for life and godliness. So then, the congregation, to be reformed, that's going to blow your mind away. Ready? Here it comes. To be reformed is to be biblical. That's what it means to be reformed. I remember, I think it was at a Ligonier conference. I wasn't there, but I saw a video clip of it. And there was a panel session, and there was a question from the audience. What does it even mean to be reformed? And the guys up there were talking about it. And Alistair Begg, in his common sense way, and, and just, he's just forthright, he just looked at the audience and said, it just means to be biblical. That's what it means. That the Bible is sufficient. The Bible is God's Word, inspired. It teaches us not only who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible also teaches us how this one true God is to be worshipped. As a church, we desire to worship God in the way that pleases Him and not please ourselves. Because if we're left to our own devices, our own opinions, our own imaginations, worship becomes a zoo. Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. Personally, I like to say that I've been transformed. I'm a transformed Christian. I'm a transformed Christian by the grace and spirit of God. And God transforms and reforms my life 
so that my spiritual walk and worship of God reflects His Word and His will. I personally do not decide the way that God is to be worshipped because God decides that. There's a principle of worship that's called the regulative principle. That worship is regulated by God's word. Worship is regulated by God's word and not man's inventions or innovations or creative imaginations. Chapter 4, look with me at verse 2. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. Do not take away or add from it. In fact, aren't those the last words of the Bible related to the book of Revelation? Do not add to this prophecy or take away from it. Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And so worship is reformed according to God's word. God prescribes in his word what are called elements of worship. He commands his people to assemble together. Do not neglect the gathering of the saints. To praise the triune God with psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. Hymns that are biblically and theologically sound to offer prayers to God through Christ our mediator, to preach and teach the Bible, the whole counsel of God, to bring our tithes and offerings to God for the cause of the kingdom. These things are elements that are taught in the Bible, that are taught by the Apostle Paul in the epistles. Now it's important to note that the New Testament does not give us an exact liturgy. Like how we worship here at Emmanuel is not exactly how they worshipped in the New Testament times. No, we follow principles. We follow principles. The New Testament doesn't give us a liturgy or an order of service that the church in all ages and places must follow. The Bible also doesn't prescribe what kind of instruments are to be used in public worship. The location of worship or the time of day of worship, it says to worship. Worship, and here are the elements of worship where God is glorified and his people are blessed. We worship, as Jesus says, in spirit and in truth. We do not go to a geographical location in the Middle East 
to the temple on the mount in Jerusalem. For the Father seeks worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth, that is, in the spirit of the gospel, the spirit of Jesus Christ, and in the truth of Jesus Christ. And where two or three are gathered, there he is, worshiping, being worshipped by his people. The Heidelberg Catechism asks, What is God's will for us in the second commandment? Answer, that we in no way make any image of God nor worship Him in any other way than has been commanded in God's Word. Worship is reformed according to the Word of God. That's what that means. Let worship be reformed according to God's Word. It is then when we are truly blessed when he meets us in worship according to his word. And I need to say this, Christians. Let us be very careful to make accusations of other communities worshiping. We have it right, they have it wrong. Let us be very careful. We ought to be thankful for the rich tradition we have. We need to be very careful to make judgment calls that aren't ours to make. Because there are churches that don't worship like us that are worshiping in spirit and in truth and using the elements of worship that God prescribes in his word. Worship is reformed according to his word. Secondly, Graven images are forbidden. In the ancient Near East, graven images and idols were found in temples and even in households. They were known as household gods. And the purpose of graven images, and this was kind of flushed out in the summer when we looked at the ten plagues and the gods of the uh, Egyptians, the purpose of the graven images was to draw power from the deity represented in the image Pagan gods were uh, objectified, made tangible, so that you can see and touch, bow down before, offer incense, offer prayers, offer the lighting of candles, bringing gifts before these images, hoping to appease them through a visible object that represents the God. It wasn't the God itself in the image. It represented the God. It was like that mediator, get to the God. The Egyptians had pagan gods that were represented through images and idols. Pharaoh himself, there were pictures of Pharaoh that the people paid homage to. In Exodus 32, the, the erecting of the golden calf. The Israelites call upon Aaron to make them gods to go before them. They asked Aaron to make an idol in the likeness of the gods who brought them out of Egypt. They wanted a god formed and fashioned that brought them out of Egypt. In other words, they wanted an image of Yahweh. Show us who this god is who brought us out of Egypt. 
They wanted a physical representation of Yahweh, the Lord. In our text, Deuteronomy 4, Moses reminds the people that they didn't see any form. There was no form of God. Verse 15, therefore watch yourselves very carefully since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure. And then the list is there for you. And at verse 12, look with me. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, you who heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. God speaks words. God communicates through words. The sound of words came from the mountain out of the fire. Sight and The sight and sounds were incredibly terrifying and fearful for the Israelites as the sovereign and almighty God enveloped the mountain out of the great smoke and darkness. This power we cannot contain, but if we make an idol, we can contain them. If we make an idol, we can contain this God. When God commanded, he when God spoke, he commanded the people not to make graven or carved images that try to capture his divine nature and essence. God doesn't permit his own essence to be dumbed down or reduced to a dumb idol. In other words, graven images or idols to be worshipped representing God violates God's freedom, God's majesty, and God's covenant. How do you capture in a created thing, in an idol, the eternality of God? How do you capture the omnipotence of God? How do you capture his infinity? How do you capture his omnipresence? How do you capture the divine being in a dumb idol. That's why he says he's a, he's a consuming fire, a jealous God, because he will not give his glory over to another. We hear that in Hebrews, right? That verse is quoted in Hebrews. How do you capture, how do you capture God's transcendence in an idol? Transcendence means holy other, distinct, not a creature. How do you capture the divine being in an idol? Do you see how God despises that? What it says of his character, his nature, his being? It dumbs God down. 
If you have your Bibles open, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Remember, Paul is in Athens, and he sees many idols, and he sees an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And then he goes on to speak to people, beginning at verse 24. He says to them, what therefore... You worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Now listen to what Paul says. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, the second man, the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul is speaking to these philosophers in Athens, these idol worshipers. God cannot be contained. His divine essence cannot be formed into any art. They are to be rejected, forbidden. Worship the creator and not the creation which is eventually what happens with the worship of images. And we see that in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. Sin has so defected our view of God and his divine nature that we dumb him down to the created world, making idols of our own imagination. And in the time of the Reformation, the Protestants sought to obey the second commandment, destroying graven images in churches. I have to say this, that if you were to speak to a Roman Catholic, they believe that images of God are indeed forbidden, but that God allows the making of images, not idols, they would say, the making of images in the Old Testament that pointed symbolically towards salvation by the incarnate word, so it was, with, it was with the bronze serpent, the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubim. They also teach that in the coming of Christ, the incarnate word, the Son of God introduced a new economy 
of images that symbolically point to salvation. Listen to what their catechism says. The honor rendered to an image passes to its prototype, the first form, the, 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 the person that the image represents. Whoever venerates an image venerates the person portrayed in it. They call this a respectful veneration, not adoration or worship. But I would say, what's the, what's the difference? What's the difference? Such veneration of images, they believe, is based on the mystery of the incarnation of the Word of God, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, God in flesh, dwelt among us, there is a place for images in churches. And this is what the Protestant churches, the evangelical churches, disagreed with vehemently and sought to obey the second commandment getting rid of all graven images because they are forbidden. Now, in Protestant evangelical churches, we have the cross, which symbolized the Lord's sacrifice for sins. But Christ isn't on the cross anymore. He was crucified, dead, and buried the third day. He rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. And so churches in our circles have crosses that symbolize his sacrifice, but we do not bow down or worship them or serve the cross or crosses. Friends, there are serious problems with images because they draw our attention away from God and onto the image. They draw our attention away from Christ and onto the image. When Christ says in the word that we must fix our eyes upon him in faith, but there's more going on here with these images, these representations of those that they represent. For example, you have the saints, you have Mary, you have Jesus himself in picture form, where you have candles lit, incense offered. I remember when we were in Ukraine, they even had the, the bodies of the dead saints in the sanctuary, and people would throw themselves upon these glass casings where the bodies of the saints lived, lighting candles, lighting incense. Friends, that's not veneration. That's worship. That's service. That's calling upon someone other than the one true God. Catechism asks, may we then not make any image at all? Answer, God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Although creatures may be portrayed, yet God forbids making or having such images in order to worship them or serve God through them. Though they are not images of God himself, they are images in the churches that are being venerated and adored and served, which is idolatry. God is serious about images and idols made to worship and serve him. He's serious about idols and images in churches. His anger and wrath were poured out upon Israel. And we saw that in verses 24 to 31. In their history, Israel worshipped the Baal, made idols to Baal. 
They made idols to represent Yahweh. Jeroboam, his great sin was to make, was making a representation, an idol of Yahweh because he didn't want to worship in the prescribed place that God wanted them to worship. They were exiled, but God spared a remnant and was merciful. God promised the Messiah to come and save Israel from her sins. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. The incarnate Christ, God in flesh. But you can see how the Israelites had a problem with the coming of Christ, can't you? If they take so seriously the second commandment, what do you do with Jesus? Who is fully divine and fully human and is worshiped? You shall not make any likeness of a man or woman. Here's the man, Jesus, who is fully divine and calls himself the Christ, the Son of God, Son of Man. Thirdly, the church receives instruction through the preaching of God's word. Do not add or take away from it. Now, why not use every means possible to teach people about Jesus? Well, the problem is that if you look at pictures or statues, what happens? Let's say you don't even worship or serve the, the image. But you see a statue or a picture of Jesus in a church. What happens to your imagination? How does it affect your thinking of who Jesus is? The problem is how we interpret it. So yeah, churches may have pictures of Jesus in the church, and they say they may not worship or serve the picture, the representation of Jesus. But what does it do to the interpretation in the person's heart and mind of who the Christ is? If I showed you a piece of art or a sculpture, we're going to have a couple dozen interpretations of it. It's very subjective. God forbids it because art doesn't teach the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ with clarity and truth. God's word teaches clearly and truthfully the one true God. It teaches the entrance of sin into the world, the fallenness of the human nature. The redemption of God's people through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Redemption and salvation through him alone. The resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of the dead. The consummation of all things at the coming of Christ. These things come through the teaching of God's word. The church receives instruction through the preaching of God's word as we read in the Catechism, and is clearly taught in our text this evening and in many other passages of Scripture. But there is something that God permits, which is an element of worship. 
and are signs, visible signs. Do you know what they are, boys and girls? Adults, do you know what they are? We call them the sacraments. You want to see the gospel? God gives us the sacraments to taste and see that the Lord, of good, Lord is good. And these only make sense and have spiritual significance because of the Word of God and the preaching of it. Because the Word communicates to us the importance of these God-ordained signs and seals of the church that point us to the Gospel. Without the Word, they would have no meaning and wouldn't even be permitted. Worship is reformed according to God's word. Graven images are forbidden. And the church receives instruction through the preaching of God's word. Because the power of the gospel to all who believe comes through the power of the spirit through preaching the Bible. And I want to close with this. What about pictures of Jesus at home, Pastor? What about children's books that have pictures of Jesus? Does God forbid, in this commandment, pictures of Jesus? <clears throat> well, there are different opinions on this topic among many good Christians. In question and answer 98, the catechism asks, but may not images as books for the unlearned, unlearned be permitted in churches? Answer, no, we should not try to be wiser than God. He wants the Christian community instructed by the living preaching of his word, not by idols that cannot even talk. The context of the second commandment is the worship of God in the assembly, in the church. That said, in the home, do we not try to practice the same in our private worship? When we worship the Lord in the home, devotions, we need to be careful about what we see in children's books, children's Bibles, because children are easily moldable aren't they? They have great imaginations. And so there's a great care that's involved in discipling children in the home with children's Bibles. And some of the dangers in using pictures of Jesus in children's Bibles is this, that it adds to the testimony of God's word concerning the two natures of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, first, we don't know what Jesus looked like, and the pictures of Jesus can't do justice to the divine and human nature of Jesus. How do we capture that? We don't know what he looks like. You have the Anglo-Saxon Jesus. You have the African Jesus. You go to any nation 
any part of the world, and they're going to have a Jesus fashioned according to their likeness. And what does that do to the imagination of the child? What does it do to the child's faith? Because one of the dangers is that it can reduce faith to sight. It can reduce faith to sight. I mean, think about what Jesus says. Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. How about Hebrews 11? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Listen, friends, I would love to see Jesus. I mean, don't you long to see him? But how do you capture the resurrected and glorified Christ? How do you capture the divine Son of God and Son of Man who has ascended into heaven and glorified in a picture? Again, I said that good Christians disagree with this. I'm just stating dangers, warnings, and what can happen with these. The second commandment warns against the worship of God with idols, with images, in churches. But in the home, our practice must be carefully considered as well. And this is why we as a congregation desire, desire to worship God as he has prescribed. Because friends, when we worship the way he prescribes it in his word, the blessing abounds. The blessing abounds. And I think we can forget that. But you can have the, a worship service that has all the elements, has everything prescribed in the Bible, and yet the spirit of the congregation is dead. The life of the service, I'm going to throw it out there, boring. Worship ought never to be boring. Our hearts should be filled with joy because we are worshiping Him, the true God of heaven and earth, by faith. Not trusting in images or idols, but trusting in the promise of His holy, divine Word. And I see that I'm running long. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God which is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. We thank you, O Lord, that your spirit works through the ministry of the word of God, teaching us the gospel, transforming us in the renewing of our minds, enabling us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, so that the eyes of our hearts are fixed upon the one true God, not through representations and idols, 
of you, for that is idolatry. But we offer our hearts and our worship in faith, knowing that one day we will see our Lord Jesus in all his glory. And we indeed, we long for that day. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray this in Jesus' precious name.